0: Well, good evening and welcome to the study of John. It's good to see everybody. Everybody has kept coats on here live. It got nippy today, didn't it? Temperatures start dropping and going to be colder tomorrow, they say. So it's good to see all of you here tonight, though. It's warm inside. We're glad that you're here to study God's Word with us. And we always have a good number joining us on, online. And uh, where, wherever you are and however you're joining us, we welcome you tonight and glad to have you with us as well. John chapter 18, we're looking at a portrait of Jesus Looking at the Gospel of John primarily by things that he said rather than things that he did. We've already looked at the Gospel of Mark, which is primarily what Jesus did, not what he said. So it's good to look at both of them together, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are now to John chapter 18. And um, we have two weeks left in the study. We will do 19 next week and then 20, 21, which is the, the resurrection together there in chapters 20 and 21 the following week. And so that will conclude our study on February the 2nd, two more weeks after tonight. And then on February the 9th, we will begin the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I see some of you smiling already. That's going to be fun, isn't it? Revelation is really going to be fun going through that. So uh, I hope that you join us for that every Wednesday night at 6.15, either here on campus or online with us as we look at the book Revelation. Well, grab your device or your Bible tonight. We're in the ESV. I always do our studies from the English Standard Version and that's where we'll begin tonight. John chapter 18. Some interesting stuff in the passage tonight that we'll look at. Let's pray together and we'll get started. God, thank you for your word. I'm thankful for the fact that it is truth. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is our authority, Father, in all matters of faith and practice. And that is our confession tonight. So thank you for your word. Thank you for how the Holy Spirit takes the word of God, brings it alive, applies it to our lives. And I pray, God, you will do that powerfully tonight as we look at the arrest of Jesus leading up to his crucifixion. And so, Father, we're so thankful tonight for all that Jesus has done for us. And we pray that you would uh, just bless our study time together this evening as we look at this passage. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we're looking at chapter 18. We've arrived now at the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. Peter is going to deny, to deny Jesus. We're going to be looking at that passage tonight as well. Now, John, as you know, is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Four Gospels, but three of the four are called the Synoptic Gospels, which means seeing together. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all see things the stories are in a chronological order. They, they have word for word in many of the Gospels. Sometimes if you're reading along and think, I think I've read this before. Well, you have. It's in two other Gospels if you're reading Matthew, Mark, or Luke. However, John is different. John's account came after much later. Uh, if uh, if uh, uh, Mark wrote around 50 AD, John didn't come along to maybe 70 or 80 AD. So you're talking 20 to 30 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote. So you see some things that are different in John. Maybe he didn't see a need to tell them again after three writers had already told it, but he tells some different things the first three writers didn't. So as we come to the passage tonight, you see some features in John that are different than in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. One feature is that's different in John the Romans have a much larger presence than they do in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus is still firmly in control, it's obvious. But the Romans have a much greater presence. He gives us more details on their guards and the band of soldiers and how many there were. And, and he just tells us a lot more details about the Romans who were in control uh, than were, uh, than the, the John, uh, uh, rather Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Also, you see another feature that's different. John includes some things that the synoptic Gospels omitted. So, remember, he's writing much later than than the others. And so, he includes some details that he did not see recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But he remembered, of course, the Holy Spirit's in all of this as he's inspiring him to write. So, you see John features just a little different as we approach the crucifixion of Jesus. So, let's begin, first of all letter A, uh, number, uh, rather verses 1 through 11, the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. Look at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, talking about the prayer from John 17, we looked at last Wednesday night, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden. Now stop there for a moment. We're told that Jesus went uh, from where the disciples were, where he prayed the high priestly prayer, and he went across the Kidron Brook. Now, the Kidron is not really a brook as we know it. You think of a brook, you think of water kind of trickling through. There's no water in the Kidron Valley, brook. It's ca- now, actually called what's called a wadi, a W D I. uh uh, and, and that's where basically when the rain rains a uh, few times a year, the runoff happens and it forms a gully or basically a trench. And so it was basically the Kidron Trench because that's all it is. There's not much to it, never any water in it running consistently. The only time there's water in it is when it rains. Except one other time of year there's something in it, but it's not water. It's blood. Now remember at Passover time, everybody comes back. They sacrifice the animals. And it was Passover time when Jesus was arrested. And there is so much blood from the the, uh, hundreds of thousands of lambs and goats that are sacrificed that it runs off into the Kidron brook and runs down it. So, as Jesus and his disciples in verse 1 would have crossed the Kidron, there would be blood running through it. Blood from sacrificial lambs and sacrificial animals. How ironic that as Jesus and his disciples, verse 1, crossing over the Kidron, have to step over the blood of sacrificial animals just to get across it. And Jesus is the sacrificial lamb that's about to lay down his blood for us. Very ironic that John tells us they crossed the Kidron. Just that's not, every detail in the gospel is significant. And he tells us they crossed the The kid drawn and they went to a garden. Now we know it as the Garden of Gethsemane. John doesn't tell us the name of it, nor does John tell us that Jesus prayed in it, nor does John tell us that great sweat drops of blood fell to the ground as he prayed. Why did he tell us that? Well, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already recorded it. He wanted to tell us some other details. Garden of Gethsemane, the time of Jesus, was 70 steps square. So if you walk 70 steps, walk 70 steps, back down 70 steps, and over 70 steps, that's the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't very large. Now whenever we go over to visit today, it's larger, and that's because from the original Garden of Gethsemane across the street, uh, uh, sisters of a convent bought land and have made it the Garden of Gethsemane extended. So as you go there and visit with us, it's much larger today. The, quote, Garden of Gethsemane is not the original one. But the Garden of Gethsemane is much larger today than it was in Jesus' day. Only about 70 steps squared in Jesus' day. Now as he tells us this, it is interesting. Another thing to note, if you remember from the Old Testament. Remember David. David went across after his son. Remember uh, that, that after the Bathsheba incident. And his son that was trying to take uh, Absalom was trying to take his kingdom from him. If you remember what happened. David was rejected by Israel. They sided with Absalom. So we are told that he went across the Kidron. Up the Mount of Olives. Weeping as he went. The Old Testament tells us. So notice the similarities now. Between David and the Old Testament. Fleeing from Absalom. And Jesus in the New Testament. Note the similarities. Both of them crossed the Kidron. Both have wept across the Kidron. Both of them had been rejected by their nation. Both of them had been betrayed by someone close to them Absalom, Judas. And in both instances, a hanging takes place. Absalom died of hanging. Judas died of hanging. You notice the similarities between David crossing the Kidron in the Old Testament and Jesus now crossing the Kidron as the son of David, who's going to sacrifice his life for our sins. Very interesting, the interplay and how John tells us specifically some of these details. Verse 2, now Judas um, who betrayed him also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So remember Judas now has already betrayed Jesus, the, 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 the 30 pieces of silver. He knew where Jesus would be because Jesus... Prayed often in the Garden of Gethsemane. Taught the disciples often in the Garden of Gethsemane. So if you're going to go look for Jesus, it's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas knew that. So he led the authorities out to have him arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. But we're not told, John doesn't tell us that Judas kissed him on the cheek when he betrayed him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke told us, but John didn't. But listen to what Judas said, or rather uh, John said about Judas, verse 3. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So stop there for a moment and notice that as Judas is leading the authorities out to arrest Jesus, they got a band of soldiers. Now, what is a band of soldiers? In the, in the Greek, it, the, the words that are used there could mean anywhere from 200 to 600. Some theologians say they're up to 600. I've seen even some theologians say up to 1,000. Probably the wording that's used there, it's up to 600. But a minimum of 200. Think about this. Why on earth would you need 200 to 600 soldiers? To go arrest a man who never harmed anybody in his life, never even had a reputation for harming people. He had a reputation for helping people. Why would you have 600 soldiers going to arrest him? Makes no sense. But boy, they were ready. They got lanterns and they got torches. Why would they bring lanterns and torches? It was, it was uh, Passover time, so it was full moon. It would be pretty lit by the full moon. Some theologians believe the lanterns and the torches were because they were afraid Jesus might run and hide. And they might have to search through the shadows to find him because he was hiding from them. Well, he didn't hide from them. We're going to see in a moment what he did. But they also brought weapons. Weapons. Why weapons? Jesus never had a weapon. Most theologians believe the reason they brought weapons was because anyone that may try to stop them from arresting Jesus, they were prepared to take action. And that's a possibility. Jesus had a lot of followers, a lot of people who loved him. It's possible if they went to arrest him, there would be a crowd that would gather to try to stop them. Possibly. So that's why they brought weapons. But notice what Jesus did. They got there. They arrived. Did Jesus run and hide? Look at verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, he knew the cross was coming, came forward. He went out to meet them. Now, if you remember what Matthew, Mark, and Luke said, they said that Jesus was praying there with the disciples and he saw them coming across the Kidron Valley. And he said, time, guys. That's it. Let's go. And he actually walked out to meet the, the authorities came forward and said to them whom do you seek they answered Jesus of Nazareth I can imagine him putting the torch up like is that him or not a lot of Jews have beards uh, they all start to look alike it's dark And that whole, Jesus of Nazareth and he said I am he Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. Now let me stop for a second. I am he. In the original language, he is not in there. He is placed in there by translators. They translated it, I am he, but in the Greek, it's only two words. Ego I me. I am. Now you remember God's name from the Old Testament whenever Moses said, who do I say sent me to Pharaoh? And he said, you tell them I am. I am that I am. So after that, the name of God became I am. And so Jesus all the way through uses the two Greek words ego, I, me several different times. In fact, in John 8, he used it three times just in John 8. I am. I am. God's name, I am God. Whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth, I am. And when Jesus said that, verse 6, when Jesus said that to them, I am He, they drew back and fell to the ground. <laughs> you picture that. You got 200 to 600 soldiers coming. They have lanterns and torches and weapons. They're the most powerful army in the entire region. They control all the land and all the countries. The Romans are in charge. and you have 200 to six of them armed, and they're walking in, and one man just says two words, and they all fell on their backs to the ground. Why? because of the power of the words I am the power of God blew them away I'd love to have seen that wouldn't you verse 7 so we asked them again whom do you seek they're probably going I don't whew, I don't want to say that again but they said Jesus of Nazareth And he answered, I told you I am. But this time it didn't blow them away. They got up. You see, the phrase I am was not just some magical formula or incantation that you just say the magic words and poof. No, no, it wasn't magic. It was the power of God. And this time he allowed them to get back up. Because what he wanted accomplished had to be done. This was said, it says, to fulfill the words that they had spoken. Look at the end of verse 8. Jesus answered, I told you I'm he, so if you seek me, let these men go. Why did Jesus come forward and meet them and not try to retreat? Well, a couple of reasons. Uh, obviously, well, actually about three reasons. One is Jesus knew what he had to do and, and he, was, he, he knew the cross was waiting. He wasn't trying to run from it. But second of all, he's trying to protect his disciples. He did not want the authorities arresting the disciples and killing them. Because if you remember in the last chapter, Jesus prayed, Oh, Father, of all the disciples you gave me, I didn't lose a one of them. Except Judas, who it was predetermined anyway. I didn't lose any of them. But now he want to make sure he still didn't lose them. And he was protecting the disciples. And also he was revealing the evil intent of Judas. So he came forward to meet them. Verse 9, this was to fulfill the word he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost none of them. That's what I just mentioned from John 17. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant And cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Stop there for a moment. A couple of interesting things. So they arrest Jesus, and Simon Peter thought, okay, it's on, buddy. He's the Messiah, which means he's going to reveal himself as a military leader, which means he's going to overthrow the Romans, which means they've arrested him, and it's time. He is going to, he's going to blow the Roman army away, and he's going to take over, and the Jews are going to rule. Ah, let's get started. So he reached in, and he pulled out a sword thinking it was a military kingdom. Now, how in the world does he hide a sword? Well, the word that's used in the Greek language is meant a dagger. So, we think of a sword as something long. It'd be kind of, it'd be obvious he had it. But many Many Jews, in the, in, especially the Zealots, what's called the Saqqari, they would, underneath their cloak, would hide a small dagger. It was curved on the end like a sword, but it's just a small dagger. And they would hide it on the inside of their left waistband and cover it with a cloak. And that way, at any moment, they could reach under the, their, their, their cloak, and, and they have got it. It's a defense weapon. So they go to arrest Jesus and Peter reaches in, it's dark, and pulls out a dagger. He's ready to go and he cut off Malchus' right ear. Now if you're standing facing somebody, how do you cut off their right ear? Unless you're left-handed. If you're right-handed, it'd be kind of hard to cut off their right ear So, And we're not told he's left-handed. If people were left-handed in the Bible, we're told that one of the judges was a left-handed judge. Because it's very unusual to be left-handed. And so, if he's not left-handed, how did he cut off his right ear? Well, some theologians think that he went around behind him and grabbed him from behind and cut off his right ear. Maybe trying to cut his throat. Other theologians think that he went for the throat and he saw it at the last minute and ducked and he got his right ear. In any case, he cut off his right ear. But I want you to notice something else that's interesting. It tells us in verse 10 that it was one of the high priest's servants. So, high priest is Jewish. So, it wasn't a Roman guard. It was a Jewish guard. One of his own countrymen. But here's something else interesting. It, we're told by John, the other gospel writers don't tell us. John tells us, by the way, the, mans who got his ear, the man who got his ear cut off, his name was Malchus. i got some questions. Why did it matter his name? How did John know his name? And why did he record his name? And here's what's interesting. Usually, especially in Mark, but usually in all four Gospels, if somebody's name is mentioned, they're called by name, because many times Jesus did a miracle, we don't even know their name. It says a man came along or a woman had an issue of blood. We're never told names. If we're ever told names, it's because they are known in the Christian community later to whom John was writing. Is it possible Malchus got saved after that. Yeah, it's very possible. Is it possible that they knew Malchus in the the, the community to whom John is writing? And they go, oh, Malchus. That's who it happened to. They know Malchus. How do they know him? He's a Christian. He's in their community. So is it possible the servant who's standing there who sees a dagger coming, and maybe even ducks and gets his right ear cut off, and Jesus reaches down and puts, reattaches the ear. Is it possible that he is so impressed by that what happened? He gave his life to Christ. That's possible. There's no other reason we should be told his name was Malchus. So a lot of Bible scholars believe, in fact I would say a majority of Bible scholars believe he got saved, became known later in the Christian community for his faith and that's why we're told who it was. Interesting John tells us his name. Verse 11, So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? In other words, this is the reason I came not to bring a sword to die for you. Go to letter B on your outline. Jesus faces Annas and Caiaphas. One other thing I noticed that I thought was interesting, I'll just mention in passing. If you remember the last thing Jesus had in his hand before this incident. Now we know Peter has a sword in his. Do you remember the last thing we recorded Jesus had in his hand? Lord's Supper, the cup. So isn't it ironic? Jesus had the cup in his hand, and Peter had the sword in his. Jesus coming to bring peace, and Peter coming to bring violence. Let's move on, letter B. Jesus faces Annas and Caiaphas, verses 12 to 14. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. So not only do we have a band of soldiers, two hundred to six hundred, we also have the captain, which means it was a high-ranking authority, according to the Greek word that's used there, kilios, that's used. In fact, it's he's called a kiliarche, which means he had rule over everyone else. So he's he's the man with the most authority in the whole story except for Jesus. And he's with them. And the band of soldiers, and they arrest Jesus, and they bound him. They they put ropes on him. So whether it was in front or whether it was behind, I never really pictured Jesus going from the garden. I pictured him going willingly, but they actually cuffed him. And we're told after one of the trials, he's still bound. So he is, he's cuffed throughout all of it. Why do you bind a man who's never harmed anybody? And there are 600 of you plus your captain and you all have weapons and he's alone. First, verse 13, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now, if you look at the trials of Jesus, and we're not going to go through all of them because John doesn't go through all of them. There were six of them. Three of them were religious trials. Three of them were civil trials. Three by the Jews, three by the Romans. By the Jews, you have Annas, the former high priest. Caiaphas, the current high priest, and the Sanhedrin, which was their supreme court. And then among the Romans, you have a trial before Pilate, Herod Antipas, and back to Pilate. So you have six total trials, three in three Romans and Jews. I believe the reason for that is to show that both Jew and Gentile put him to death, not just the Jews. He died for both Jew and Gentile. He died for us too, not just Jews. So, the Jews and the Gentiles both were involved in these crucifixion. So, I believe that's the reason why Jew and Gentile and the, both civil and religious trials. So, they led him away first of all to Annas. Annas was not the current high priest. Annas was actually the former high priest who had ruled from 6 AD to 15 AD. And we're now at 30 AD. So, he hasn't ruled for 15 years. Why would they take him to Annas? Because he was the well-respected, beloved high priest that everybody adored, all the Jews loved. He was still, had a lot of power. You say, well, how was it? He's still the high priest. Because the Roman emperor was jealous of his power in 15 AD. The emperor was Valerius at the time. And he deposed him and put Annas' son in as the high priest. His name is Eleazar. He wasn't very good at all. He only made it two years. And they deposed him, and they put Annas' son-in-law as the high priest. So it's Annas and Caiaphas, the son-in-law. We're told this in the Scripture. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. So, they wanted to see what the aged wise Annas would say about Jesus first. And then they led to Caiaphas after that and then to the Sanhedrin. Verse 14, it was Caiaphas who had advised for Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Go to letter C on your outline now. Let's look at uh, Peter denying Jesus, verses 15 to 18. Now, notice the rest of the chapter something really interesting. Starting right here. For the rest of John 18, you have an interplay between Peter denying Jesus and Jesus' trial. Both of them are being questioned. Do you know this man? No, 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 no. Are you the Christ? I am. Both of them being questioned. And you have an interplay, back and forth. You know, it's like you're watching a movie. They have one scene, they cut away to another scene, back to this scene, back to that scene. That's exactly what John's doing. Peter denying Christ, Jesus being tried with his trial, back to Peter, he's denying him a second time. Back to Jesus, back to Peter, denying him a third time. And there's an interplay showing that Jesus and Peter are doing two totally different things. One is denying under questioning. One is admitting under questioning. John Calvin said years ago that Peter was a lot more sharp with his if he had been as sharp with his words as he was with his dagger, he'd have been a lot better off. Because with his dagger he was tough, but when it came time to confess with his mouth, he was weak. So let's look at verse fifteen. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Who's the other disciple? John. Since that disciple, John's everybody talking about himself. He just doesn't call himself. He just knows him as the other disciple. Since that other disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Stop for a second. How on earth did John the disciple know the high priest? The high priest is a high ranking, the highest ranking Jewish official in all the land in Jerusalem. John is a lowly fisherman at the Sea of Galilee. Why would would the high priest know a lowly fisherman? Makes no sense. But he did. And we're not told how he knew him. Now, there are theories out there. One of the most common theories is that the, remember who who John's dad was? Zebedee, James and John, the son of Zebedee, fisherman. Zebedee was a well-known fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. It's possible the high priest knew Zebedee. And through knowing Zebedee, he knew his son John and James. But for whatever reason we're told by John that the high priest knew him so that gained him access into what was going on the other disciples couldn't come in because they closed the doors but the guard knew John so he let him in verse 14 or rather uh, 16 but Peter stood outside at the door so John got to get in Peter had to stand at the door so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So they wouldn't let Peter come in. John said, I I know him. He's with me. It's okay. Okay. So the servant girl opens the door and lets him in. So it's John and Peter. And now they're in where Jesus. So Jesus is just over here across the courtyard. Peter's over here. It's so close. If you actually stand there when we go to Israel, you'll see how close it is. If it's close enough, you can hear. Jesus could hear Peter denying him. Because we're told after the final denial, Jesus turned under trial and looked at Peter. Like, I told you so. So it's close enough to hear what's going on. But now the servant girl spoke up, was at the door. She said to Peter, verse 17, You also are one of the man's disciples, are you? She said it in a rather demeaning way and kind of disparaging of Jesus. Notice she didn't even say Jesus' name. He's that man. If you don't really want to call somebody's name, you don't really like him. Oh, it's that person. You are one of that man's disciples, aren't you? And he said, I am not. When they went to arrest Jesus, what did he say? I am. What does Peter say? I am not. And now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Stop right there for a moment. Something fascinating. As I mentioned, every time you see a detail in the gospel, it's there for a reason. Why is the fire a charcoal fire? Why did it say a charcoal fire? Why not just say a fire? Why did it tell us the fire is made of charcoal? Well charcoal has a very distinct smell as it burns. So there's a distinct smell there. And Peter is warming himself by the fire. And he denied Christ three times. Fast forward to John 21, verse 9. Jesus is already resurrected. Peter and Jesus have not met since this time. The last time they saw each other was here. And Peter is fishing, and they look on the shore, and they say, that looks like Jesus. He's already resurrected. So Peter takes off his outer cloak, jumps in, swims to land, And we're told in John 21, Jesus had a fire going cooking breakfast for them over a charcoal fire, we're told in chapter 21, verse 9. The smell. Peter was reminded with Jesus of the denials. Both were under charcoal fires, we're told from John. It was Jesus' way of saying... Peter, the last time I saw you, there was a fire going over charcoal. You remember it? You, that smell? Do you remember that smell? But he restored him three times. Rather than from, based on Jesus, Peter's denial three times. So the charcoal fire is really interesting. It's mentioned in verse 18. comes into play later, 21-9. We'll see it in two weeks. Next, go to letter D on your outline. The high priest questions Jesus, verses 19 to 24. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews came together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. So Annas was wondering, what did you teach and exactly what did you say? And Peter sa- and Jesus said, "I didn't say anything in secret. You can ask my disciples. That doesn't sound disrespectful, does it? Well, one of the guards thought it was disrespectful to the venerable, wise old Annas. And he got angry and so he struck Jesus with his hand. Verse 22, when he had said this, these things one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered if what I said is wrong bear witness about the wrong but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Now It says they struck him with his hand. We envision like a slap, right? With your hand, you just hit somebody. It's not what happened. The word that's used there for hand is the base of the palm of your hand. Whenever you hit somebody like that. You take your palm of your hand, the base of it, and you hit somebody like that. It can do some damage. And so the strike was one of the base of the palm of the hand across the face would have been a, would have been a terrible blow from one who's trained how to do that. And Jesus said, why did you strike me if what I said was wrong? But it was the first of many blows that would come. And then he was told, verse 24, Annas then sent him bound, still in cups, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now go to letter uh, E on your outline. Peter denies Jesus again. See the interplay back and forth. Now Simon Peter, verse 25, was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are, are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and says, I am not. Exact same words again. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, Malchus, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? So, here's a relative of somebody he's already cut off his ear. So Peter's probably going, oh boy. He's going to be mad about that incident back there. He's related to him. He's related to Malchus. And again, he denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. Go to letter F on your outline. Jesus before Pilate, verses 28 to 32. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. If you've ever been there, you know the house of Caiaphas. We go there. We go into the dungeon where they would have placed Jesus where he was beaten. We have, we read Psalm 73. We come up out of there and we walk across. It's not very far to what's known as the Praetorium, Antonio's Fortress. It's a very short walk. So John tells us they made that exact same walk. So we know when we're walking there as tourists, we're going the exact route. Jesus followed, John tells us. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so they would not be defiled but eat the Passover. So Jews thought it was wrong to go where Gentiles were. They'd be unclean, so they stayed outside. So Pilate went outside, verse 29, and to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And again, didn't call him Jesus. Verse 30, They answered him, If this man, they didn't say Jesus either, were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. That's the Jewish law. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And that's correct. The Jews could condemn somebody, they couldn't put them to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken about what kind of death he was going to die. Because the Jews would have stoned him and that's not the kind of death the Old Testament prophesied he would have. That would have been stoning. That would have broken bones. Not one of his bones would be broken, the Old Testament said. So to fulfill that, he was not killed by stoning, but by crucifixion. Then go to the last one, uh, letter G on your outline. My kingdom is not of this world. We'll finish up 33 to 40. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus to him and said, Are you the king of the Jews? You see, the only thing... Pilate was worried about was somebody taking his kingdom. He didn't care if Jesus claimed to be God. Pilate didn't believe in God himself. He didn't care if he blasphemed. He didn't care if he broke every Jewish law. He didn't care about anything about the Jews. All Peter wanted to know was, are you trying to get my job? Are you the king? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Kind of an interesting response. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Verse 36 Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. In other words, don't be afraid for your kingdom. My kingdom is not here. It's in another place. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king for this purpose. I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked the famous question, what is truth? Interestingly enough, our culture is still asking the same question and coming to the same wrong conclusions. Jesus is still the truth. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Let me explain that. We'll close. Pilate made a huge mistake. He wanted so badly to be liked. He interviewed Jesus, didn't find anything wrong with him, nothing that he had done wrong. So he wanted then to send him back to the Jews, but he knew the Jews did not want him sent back. They want him killed. So he tries to strike a deal with them. He tries to do something. Well, I want to appease the Jews, but I don't want to kill Jesus. So let's see if I can do both. He really wants, he's a people pleaser. So he said, okay, okay, okay. You, you have one custom. You Jews have a custom that every year one criminal is released as an act of mercy. And he's thinking, we got Barabbas in there who is a known murderer and Jesus. They're going to choose Jesus. And I don't have to kill him. But boy, was he wrong. So he cried out, who do you want? They cried out, not this man. Give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And here is his mistake. We're not told here what robbing Barabbas did. But Mark gives us a clue. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He was a devout Jew who tried to overthrow the Roman government and in the process led an uprising and killed a man. In the uprising. So the Romans arrested him, angry because he had killed one of their own Roman soldiers and threw Barabbas in jail. Barabbas was hated by the Romans because he's a faithful Jew trying to overthrow them and killed a servant, a Roman soldier. So the Romans hated him. And now, Pilate, who is Roman, is about to release him and let him go. It would be like someone letting, if the 9-11 mastermind was still alive, letting him go. What would Americans think? They'd be outraged. Well, so were the Romans. We're not told this. History tells us. Pilate was hated for releasing Barabbas by the Romans Eventually deposed, eventually killed, never rose to any more power. This is the most power ever had. Pilate was killed for his choice, Barabbas. Well, we'll stop there. We'll pick up next week with Jesus being delivered to be crucified, and then we'll go through the crucifixion. Questions or comments? If you want to come to one of the microphones, quickly before we close, if you have any questions or comments. Anybody? Charlie. Pastor, I don't have a question. You covered it so good, I'm covered. <laughs> That's Charlie, and he just said, hey, no questions. He thought I covered it well, so I appreciate that. So, all right, we'll close and we'll, we'll dismiss. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, just, the, just reading the account makes us love you even more. And so I pray that you'd continue to direct us this week. Help us to walk with you even closer this week because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. Have a good week. We'll see you Sunday.